from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Kind of a back-and-forth week for the majors of the state of New Jersey. Rutgers wins over Maryland, then turns around and loses to Iowa. The opposite for Seton Hall. They get blown out by Creighton, but then they come back with a win over Butler. Lots to talk about in this episode, not only with Rutgers and Seton Hall, but plenty to discuss when it comes to the mid-majors in New Jersey. Certainly a fun week this past week for some of these Garden State teams. A fun week ahead as well. We'll get into previews and predictions. Uh, A lot to start with, Jerry, but let's start with the Pirates this week. Uh, As I said, they follow up a loss at Creighton with a nice win over Butler. Seton Hall goes to 9-8. and Overall, on the season, they're at Georgetown on Tuesday and then DePaul on Saturday. So what's the outlook now for the Pirates after this past week? Well, I want to start, Rye, with the over, what I think is an overarching theme that I come back to time and again on this podcast and in my writings on college basketball is that it's a long season, man. There's a lot of twists and turns. You know, this isn't college football or the NFL where, like, every week is, is life and death and one game can, can determine – you know, a team season, the trajectory, it's different in college basketball. So, like, last week, you know, uh, Rutgers is coming off this huge win. Seton Hall looks dead in the water with a terrible loss. And then, you know, Rutgers is still in great shape, but they're coming off a loss, and it happens. And Seton Hall looked great, you know, on, on, on killing Butler on Saturday. So, it's a long season, a lot of twists and turns. As a fan, even covering a team, I'm sure as, if you're on a team as a player or a coach, you got to be patient and understand the roller coaster is going to have some dips and bends. So that brings us to Seton Hall, okay? Seton Hall is having a ton of dips and bends. Think of like the craziest roller coaster you've ever been on. That's the season Seton Hall's having. And I'm not really surprised because we said in October and November if you bring an entire new coaching staff, you're bringing in eight new players, including five transfers, uh, with five holdovers from the previous regime. That's a lot to mesh. So throw in a couple injuries that kind of set Seton Hall back in the summer and fall. And there's just a lot of pieces that are slowly starting to fit together. There's going to be fits and starts. So like losing at Creighton by 22 is a fit. And then beating Butler by 27 at home is a start, right? Uh, it's a, I want to emphasize the lowest total that Seton Butler shot 26%. That's the lowest Shooting percentage, Seton Hall's held a Big East team, two since 2004, Georgetown, the dying days of the Craig Escherich regime. Steve, you remember Craig Escherich? Sure do. He's an attorney. He's an attorney. I'm sure he's very good at it. He was not very good at a college, as a college basketball head coach. So that leads us to what's next for Seton Hall. Georgetown, again, staggering. Georgetown, the brand diminished. Georgetown hasn't won a Big East game in like 10 years. Literally, they have not won a Big East regular season game in two years. And that's a little scary if you're Seton Hall because Georgetown had, has had a lead against – or they've been tied or had a lead against Villanova and Marquette at the half of the last two games. They led UConn, I think, deep into a recent game, like 30 minutes in. Georgetown has talent. They have pieces. They haven't been able to finish off games. They're not well coached. Patrick Ewing's done a terrible job. I mean, you just don't bring in these you don't bring in these NBA guys. Chris, you cover you watch the NBA. You've covered it. It's a different sport, man. It's a yeah, different it's, sport. It's not that's not a good fit, what he's trying to do. Yeah, you bring in an NBA, a career NBA assistant to coach a college team. Yeah. It's not happening. So 
Georgetown's in the dying throes of yet another disaster, and it's this dangerous spot for Seton Hall because you're going in that building. Nobody is there in that building, that giant cavern in D.C. There's like 600 people there, and it's like a practice. You get lulled to sleep, so it's a dangerous spot. But if you're Seton Hall, here's what you've seen, okay? A lot of wild, inconsistent results, but if you look at it as a whole, the players are starting to get more comfortable. Kadari Richmond playing like one of the best point guards in the Big East, maybe one of the better point guards in the country, he's starting to really fit with Shaheen Holloway now. And so that's a big plus. Tyrese Samuel, I don't think Shaheen really knew what to make of him. You know, the the power forward they had to convert to center. I don't think Shaheen knew what to make of him when the season started. And now they've kind of figured out, hey, this guy has a lot of offensive skill. He can get better on defense. We can help him on defense. We got to keep him on the court. I really like what I saw from Holloway in a game against Butler, that he left his starters on the court for 13 minutes through three timeouts. He never does that. Most coaches don't do that. Shaheen is a big, like, rotate him in and out, uh, a lot of subs. I want to go deep, keep legs fresh. But his subs hadn't been playing well. He adjusted. And, look, the guy the guy got St. Peter's to the Elite Eight for a reason. He made an adjustment, and Seton Hall, you know, played a lot better with the starters getting a longer run. So it's a learning process. Uh, I think it's coming together for Seton Hall. But if the Pirates, you want to talk postseason, Right now, they're in the NIT bracket. You know, their net is 75, which, by the way, is where Rutgers' net was when they made the NCAA tournament last year. But Seton Hall doesn't have all those quality wins yet. If you want to talk postseason, we could talk about that in one week. First order of business, beat the bottom of the Big East, which is pretty bad. Beat the bottom of the Big East on the road at Georgetown Tuesday, on the road at DePaul Saturday. Take care of business. Seton Hall's better than those teams. They're much better defensively. They should be able to shut those teams down like they did Butler, okay? And then next Monday on the Jersey Jump Shot, we can talk about at 4-4 four and four in the Big East what Seton Hall has to realistically do to make an NCAA tournament run. But I do see in those fits and starts, I see more starts, and the Pirates are getting better. Yeah, and we say all the time on this podcast, too, it's it's difficult to win on the road. And, and certainly, uh, you know, you look at the records of Georgetown, like you said, Jerry, 0-6 in the conference, 5-12 and overall. DePaul, slightly better, 1-4 and in conference, 7-9 and overall. It's difficult to win on the road, but if you have to win on the road, which you do, two teams on the schedule this week for Seton Hall, those are the two teams you, you don't mind going on the road to play because they are the bottom of the barrel, as you said. And you're coming off a big win, and you just hope to carry that momentum over. You like what you saw out of the starters, like you said, with the Shaheen Holloway leaving them in. It's an opportunity. And, and like you said, we'll talk about it next week, depending on what happens this coming week. But it's certainly an opportunity when you look at these two games. This isn't going to pad your resume, of course, beating these right. two teams. These are da- games that you should win. But it's difficult to win on the road, and it's about momentum at this point in the season, getting these win- wins under your belt. Win some games, collect some road wins. Gain some, continue to gain some confidence. Figure out who you are with Seton Hall. That's going to be you're a lockdown defensive team who has individual guys who can score, but hasn't they haven't really functioned that well as an offensive unit. But they're starting to do better with that. They've had a couple real good offensive games the last two games at home. So you know, I think Seton Hall fans are used to right now talking, looking at bracketology, wondering what they're going to be seated in the dance. You've done that under Kevin Willard over a number of years. It's a different deal now you got to be a little patient as a new regime fits the pieces. But I don't think by any means the season is lost. Uh, This team still could do something. And like I said, this week is a take-care-of-business week. Seton Hall's been pretty good against the lesser teams, with the exception of their loss to Siena in November. They had a lot of injuries. So 
right now, I see the train moving forward for the Pirates, but you know you can't have a dip or a bend in the roller coaster this week. You got to keep ascending this week. Absolutely. And speaking of dips and bends, uh, kind of a similar situation for Rutgers. Not as many dips maybe this year as Seton Hall, Chris. But you, you take this big win on Thursday. We talked about it on the last podcast with Kevin Willard coming back to New Jersey. You win over Maryland, and then you play what is a lesser team in Iowa, and you lose to them. So now Rutgers 11-5 and overall. What was a positive week, even going back to the win over Purdue uh, the previous week, you get the win over Maryland, kind of a, a sour taste in your mouth after this loss to Iowa. Well, first of all, I have to thank Jerry again. On, I thank him on social media, but I'll thank him on the podcast, too, for pivoting on Thursday night uh, when Rutgers was hiring its offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka, and I looked at Jerry at halftime and said, I, I haven't watched the game, so you're, you're going to have to write the game story. We got to make halftime adjustments, too, like the coaches. <laughs> So I thank you again, Jerry, for pivoting on the fly. Um, yeah, listen, I mean, the Maryland win, it was, uh, you know, what Jerry alluded to earlier, it was a it was a very mature showing from Rutgers. To, you know, Steve Peichel earlier in the week uh, was talking about, you know, daily fame. You know, you, you become a viral sensation. You're the talk of the college basketball world. And then and this has been a crazy run for Rutgers. They've had a lot of games in a short amount of time. And they had to, you know, uh, quickly turn around and, and kind of refocus. And, and after beating Purdue – on the road and, you know, you come back home and, you, and they beat Maryland and, and they beat it handily. And it was a great performance for Paul Mulcahy. Um, you know, they did exactly what they had to do. And listen, the, the loss to Iowa, I was, I think, better than what they've shown earlier in the season. They're the best offensive yes. team in the Big Ten, averaging like 81.7 points per game. Uh, I think that they're on the upswing. I actually think that yesterday's loss is going to be – it's going to look – less and less bad. That's not the right way to put that. But as the season goes on, in my opinion, because I think Iowa is going to get better um, and continue to get better. Um, listen, they're a good team. And that's, you know, sometimes you just lose games like that. You know, it, it was, we always knew that Rutgers could win those, you know, games where you have to grind it out. You know, those defensive battles, it was always going to be tougher for them to go against teams that, that score the way that a team like Iowa does. They shot the three very, very well. Peyton Sanford was just on fire there in the second half, especially, and, you know, every time Rutgers started to really, you know, they got it down to about five points, I believe it was late in, in early in the second half. And then Iowa would answer with a three and that kind of kept happening. They just kind of couldn't shut them down from the three point line. Listen, I mean, it's just one of those losses. I mean, I, I you know, that sounds sort of blase, I guess you could say, but it just, you know, sometimes those games happen and, and Rutgers had one. I'm, a, I'm with Chris. I wouldn't read too much into it. I was good. I mean, that might even be better than Maryland. Uh, we maybe didn't think that last week, but I've seen Iowa in, in person twice. They ripped Seton all the shreds in November. Uh, they're good. Iowa's good, and they're well coached. Well coached. Yeah, and that brings me to the second point. Like Fran McCaffrey after the game uh, opened his press conference by thanking Rutgers. They presented him with a card for his son. So Fran McCaffrey's two sons play for him. They're very good, Patrick and Connor McCaffrey. They're good players. Patrick took a leave of absence last week. Uh, he announced on social media that he was taking an indefinite leave from the team to deal with anxiety. And so that's something that really hits home with a lot of people, uh, you know, that we've talked about mental health and college sports before. And then a lot of yesterday's post game became discussing that it was, it was a great gesture from Rutgers to do that, to present that card uh, signed by the entire team. Steve Peichel talked about it. I think kind of emotionally, Chris, like he was, you know, I don't want to say we had tears in his eyes, but he was misting up a little bit Absolutely. talking about it as a father, you know, of college athletes. He's had two, College athletes, his daughters, really good college players. One played basketball at Northwest, and the other's on a, on a terrific North Carolina lacrosse team. Uh, 
So yeah, we we got into this a little bit, and it, and you mentioned one of you guys mentioned the three games in one week, and I think this is where like every year I've written a column saying fans got to ease up on the players because you know they're college athletes, you're eighteen to twenty two years old, and they're not getting paid, and even the you know people say nil. Well, look, there might be some players college athletes somewhere making millions. Nobody we cover is making millions of dollars. Like none of these basketball players in New Jersey. And Chris, you could speak to Rutgers football. I don't think anyone's making millions no, of dollars. No, you know, no, 10, 20,000, you know, a nice no. fat stipend maybe. Yeah. Some guys might be making that, but that doesn't give you a reason to tee off on them. You know, like you would They're some pro good. making 10 million. Um, so fans got to just take a breath. You know, the people who lose money gambling, who get mad and take it out on players and they got to stop that. That's ridiculous. Players got to also understand how to manage social media. It sucks because, you know, when you're that age, how do you tell someone to shut off their phone? But the thing I want to mention is the league get stuffing Rutgers and other teams with three games in a week. That doesn't help either. You know, there's a lot of travel in the Big Ten. They keep expanding. It's going to be a coast-to-coast conference. The travel's ridiculous. These these young young men and women get home at 5 a.m. from their Midwestern flights from the, from the upper Midwest. Uh, sometimes they have icing delays because of the plane, because the weather's bad in the winter. They get home at 5 a.m. They have class the next morning. That's hard enough as it is. You're throwing in three games in a week. There shouldn't be three college basketball games in a week. I mean, Thanksgiving week, no school. You're at a nice warm location, fine. You know, postseason NCAA tournament, okay. Uh, but in the body of a, of a, of a, a season, you should have a three-game You should not have a three-game week. That's so the great. Big Ten, you know, you want to beat your chest about the welfare of student-athletes. And and mental health, and yet you're shoving three games down a team's throat in a week for what? For TV purposes? So I think that's that's bad. That's wrong. You know, the Big East played a game on Christmas Day. Why are you doing that? Why are you playing a game on Christmas Day? Is there a demand to watch college basketball on Christmas Day? So I know they're doing it for TV eyeballs to be different, to stand out, whatever. Let the pros and their millions and millions play and work on Christmas Day, give these college athletes off. It all adds up in the mental health department. So when we talk about mental health, it's part of being conscious of social media, you know, be conscious of how you treat college athletes. They're not pros. And also the leagues and the the, the business industrial complex of sports, the networks, they could do their part too, and they don't. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. I thought that was an important subject that came to the fore in the Rutgers-Iowa postgame. Yeah, absolutely, Jerry. And, and you hit the nail on the head with this Big Ten conference, especially. It continues to expand. We'll have road games in Los Angeles coming up. Uh, these are 18, 19 year old kids who are on the road two or three nights out of the week. Anyone who's ever traveled extensively for their jobs knows how exhausting it is. And to have, uh, you know, young people on the road to come back. And like you said, they have class, they have homework as well. It is exhausting. And, you know, one, two games a week, for the college level, that's that's plenty. And, you know, you talk about the NBA and pros, and like you said, Jerry, they signed up for this. They're professional athletes. They make plenty of money. If you want to play two or three nights a week for TV purposes for them, they signed up for it. They're professional athletes. It, you know, it makes sense for them, but it is a lot. And, and you right, know, I've been a defender of the student-athlete model, which has, you know, been kind of under assault from a lot of corners of society. As a former Division One college athlete, I understand the benefits of it and all the intangibles that it brings but the leagues, it reeks of hypocrisy when the leagues put their student athletes through the meat grinder of a three-game week and all this crazy travel it, and these holiday games. It reeks of hypocrisy. So you know they can do, the mental health thing. It's not totally out of the league's hands. They can they can help. So let's see them do it. 
Yeah, and you almost lose sight of it sometimes when you watch these games on TV. I mean, Seton Hall, for example, they'll be in D.C. on Tuesday and Chicago on Saturday. So, you know, it's it's you turn on the TV and the teams are just there in front of you and you kind of miss sometimes all the travel and the, the stress of the travel that goes into putting these games on. So certainly an important topic. And, and like you said, certainly a good thing to have a discussion, not only here on this podcast, but really around the sport and not just for right. basketball either. Agree. Agree. One other thing I want to throw in about Rutgers, we had a little fun on Thursday while Chris was typing away about the uh, Rutgers football offensive coordinator. We we ran a decibel meter in the in uh, Jersey Mike's arena with the help of Griffin Whitmer, Rutgers athletics uh, department staffer, was a great guy. Um, you know, I, someone had said that in, in Mackey Arena, the decibel level got up to 122. Steve, you've probably been to some concerts in your younger days that got up to 122 decibels. That's a loud level, man. 122 decibels is like an airplane flying through your living room. And so 122 was supposedly the decibel reading at Mackey. So I was really curious. Now, Mackey seats 14,000. I was really curious, like, what is the decibel level at Jersey Mike's, you know, the rack, which is we know is so loud. We've written about many times the, the noise level in there. And 8,000 people, so a lot fewer people. It got up to 108 multiple times against Maryland. We didn't run it against Iowa. I think Maryland was a little louder. Chris, you probably would agree. No doubt, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Because they play, they played better against Maryland, and the people were into it with Kevin Willard being there. Our old friend, by the way, Kevin Willard snuck out and got Italian food and brought it back to Maryland. He said the food stinks in Maryland, <laughs> and he brought back Italian food for him and his wife, and it must have done the trick because they beat Ohio State at home yesterday. So the Italian food fueling Maryland's win. It was good to see Kevin. It was a good laugh with everybody. But back to the but the noise level. So like 108 is really loud, okay? My ears ring when I leave that building. Uh, I can only imagine what 122 decibels was like. So, Chris, you know, we know – you can talk about this next. Rutgers is an interesting week ahead, right, at Northwestern and then Ohio State at home next Sunday. I guess they just announced a tip time at 2.15. They worked it around the, the Giants playoff game, So, uh, which is a good job by the Big Ten Network. Um, we're, I like to get that meter going again for Ohio State because we anticipate a really – raucous welcome for the Buckeyes after what happened in Columbus last month. Yeah, I think things are going to get a little crazy on Sunday in a good way. It's going to be loud. They're going to get definitely, uh, you know, fans are going to make themselves hurt. Let's just put it that way. So yeah. Rutgers, with this coming week, Rutgers at Northwestern. Northwestern's playing really well. They're 14-3. and three. Uh, They're 3-1 and one in the league. They've won some really, really impressive league wins. Um, they, you know, they just beat Indiana. They beat uh, Indiana and Illinois, was it this week? They threw down two. Two banner wins this week. Um, so you you have uh, a tough game at Northwestern, which always has played Rutgers well, especially out there. And then you have Ohio State at home, which you know obviously has played Rutgers really well over the years, just beat them, although it was contested uh, outcome. So let's talk about Rutgers metrics now, because I want to address something again that is on my chest. It's about the time of year – when we start looking at metrics and bracketology, I just can't do it in December. I just cannot do it. Okay. It's like drinking eggnog in July. Like I cannot look at metrics. I cannot look at that, you know, the net and, uh, and, and bracketology in November, December. I just can't do it. It's out of place. We can start looking at that. Now Rutgers metrics are very good. So total opposite of last year, their metrics were terrible, but they had a lot of big wins. You could tell they were better than their metrics this year. Their metrics are really good. Uh, and I know there's some expectation that Rutgers is going to be ranked or what their seed in bracketology should be. Uh, and 
I think, you know, speaking with Brad Wachtel yesterday, like he'll have his thing. He's our bracketologist. We'll have him on in a couple of weeks. He'll have his thing come out soon. Their Rutgers seed in bracketology is, and then their ranking for like the AP vote is not going to match their metrics right now because the of the win total. So the two big important win categories are, are for uh, metrics purposes. Uh, for when you look at, you know, the postseason are uh, road neutral record. Rutgers is one and three, which is not good. Now they have a big one at Purdue, but they're one and three in road neutral and three and four in quads one and two, which is not great relative to their the top 25 neighborhood. So, well, I think Rutgers is in very solid shape to be in the NCAA tournament, but they have some work to do in those two key categories before we can talk about, you know, top 25 rankings and then being like a, making a run at a protected seed in the NCAA tournament. That's all a long way off. That said, Chris, they have a chance to, I think with a, a one in one week, you know, to make up some ground, they pick up a quad one win. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, this is again. That's we, we've always said that about the Big Ten is yes, you can you can have some costly losses, but there are so many chances to make up for them. And Rutgers, obviously, as you said, the, the win over Purdue that goes a long way. So there's so many chances. There's more opportunities to continue to build this resume. Um, I think that they'll be able to do it again. You know, I don't want to say throw away the Iowa loss, but in some ways, I kind of do because of the that way that they play. Um, I think that there's plenty more opportunities for Rutgers to really, you know, do some work here and, and, and you know, put itself in really a good spot. And, yeah, and as and you said, la- I think one and one this week would go a long way. And the last word on the metrics, I know we have our mid-majors we want to talk about. The last word on the metrics is, you know, last year Rutgers fans were going crazy saying the metrics stink, the metrics lie, the metrics are faulty. And this year it's like, look at our metrics, look at our metrics, look at our metrics. And to me, it's always somewhere in the middle, right? Like the metrics are one tool in the box. Uh, but like the metrics- whole story. Yeah, the, the metrics didn't predict North Carolina making a run to the championship game last year. They didn't predict St. Peter's going to the Elite Eight or Loyola in the year before years before that. So it's just one tool, right? So let's let's look somewhere in the middle as we start to digest metrics. As it's not the end all be all, it's a helpful guideline. And Rutgers, in the big picture, is in pretty good shape. Absolutely, and more opportunity ahead, as we said, at Northwestern on Wednesday. Northwestern, they're good, 3-1 and one in conference, and then home against Ohio State Sunday, an opportunity for some revenge there from that game back in Columbus a few weeks ago. So we'll keep an eye on the Scarlet Knights. And as as you said, Jerry, we're going to get to some of the mid-majors here in New Jersey. Uh, you know, we have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to start with the bad and the ugly because we like to – and on a positive note here on Jersey Jump Shot, and there is plenty of positivity in the mid-major region for New Jersey. But unfortunately, uh, Steve, we have to talk about Monmouth. They've lost seven in a row, losses to Stony Brook and Drexel this past week at Hofstra, and they have Towson coming up as well. Uh, we knew it was going to be tough. We knew their schedule was hard. We knew the new conference was going to challenge them. Did we think it was going to be this bad? Well, I don't think I certainly the coaching staff didn't think that it was going to be this bad or they would have had more. You know, they clearly have underestimated the talent and their ability to bring that talent along. Uh, So right now, you know, 32 point loss at Drexel, you know, over the weekend. You know, that wouldn't really hurt, you know, and and at home, you know, they coming into that game. Stony Brook was a 300-plus Ken Palm team on your home court, right? So there's a game you really have to try and win, right? There's a a winnable game, but but it was a double-digit loss. So, again, Monmouth right now, they they can't really score. Uh, It was the third lowest point total in program history in Philadelphia this weekend. Um, 
And you know, I think I think when you look at it, it's gonna obviously it's it's gonna be a bad season. How do you rebound from you know whatever it ends up being three and thirty? You know, how do you you know? And they don't have a lot of scholarships. They don't have any scholarships, although they may have one or two coming uh, free via injury situations. But you know, even at that, how do you attract somebody a free uh, a transfer portal kid? to this team, you know? So I think, I think that is the the question moving forward now is how are you going to be able to rebuild this thing from really the depths of, you know, they're, I think they're three from the bottom in the net and four from the bottom in Ken Palm. And really the only team you can make an argument for that might be worse than them is Mississippi Valley state, which does not have a division one win. Uh, but other than that, Mammoth is probably the worst team in the country right now. And my goodness, I just listened to this. I mean, mom was, mom was playing in a championship game 10 months ago with an NCAA right. tournament berth on the line with four minutes left. Well, well, that's it. I mean, you talk about a precipitous fall. You know, two years ago, they got a share of the regular season title in the MAC. As you said, Jerry, last year, you know, I mean, we were sitting there until Eddard hit that wide open three with about a minute to go. That was anyone's game. It's crazy. You know? And and now here they are, you know, having, you know, just really completely collapsed as a program right now. And, uh, you know, and, and as as Ryan said, Hofstra and Townsend on the road, you know, those are those are two good teams. Those are, you know, top, you know, probably close, probably top. They are top 150 net teams. You know, those are going to be 20 point losses. And then you come home for number 23 College of Charleston. Right. So that's the CAA is tough. There's no, there's no let up here. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a really tough, tough winter. Let's talk about the CAA for a second, Steve. And I have a question for you. It's a hard question. And you there might be no answer at this point because we're early in this mom and CAA relationship. But two part question. Would you agree that that men's basketball more than any other sport has been Mammoth's front porch, so to speak? Like that's been there. The sport that's been most in the public eye. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and listen, they didn't even have football until right. the early nineties and uh, you know, really recently have grown that program to, you know, where you're getting some national attention. Right. Or something. So that, that, that leads to my second question, which is, is there some buyer's remorse? They joined CAA, the CAA with football was heavily weighed in that move. And now the basketball program can't compete. Are there some concerns that we're in over our head with our, with our flagship front porch program or not, we're not there yet. I don't think they're there yet. And I, and I think the, the benefits, you know, listen, they, they really have to rebuild this and, and try and rebuild it as quickly as they can. But the benefits have been very good. And I think will be good. I mean, Mammoth is on, and even their women is basketball team are on regional sports networks now every week. You know, they, you could not do that when you're in the Mac because the ESPN contracts are so restrictive, you know, so that has been um, a really good thing for them. Um, now, again, I think it's been good for a lot of their programs. I think it was good for football. Uh, their women's basketball team is playing very well right now. However, as you said, Jerry, this is the flagship program. And maybe a year from now, they're not feeling like they are right now. But I think right now they still feel this was the right move to make. They they were competing for an NCAA tournament bid, obviously, in a different conference. And to see what it is now, they challenged themselves out of conference. Maybe they challenged themselves a little bit too right. much. And now in over their heads so far this season. Well, I think that and that was the other thing. You know, you can't play a, a schedule with four high majors. They, I think they played... 
10 uh, 150 plus Ken Palm teams this season. I mean, that's that's crazy. Um, so you know, it's 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 been too much for this team. Absolutely. So we mentioned the bad. Now let's end on the good because there's two teams especially worth highlighting for these mid-majors, and that's Princeton and FDU, two teams that have been on fire. Uh, Princeton, especially, they, they sweep the New York teams this past week. A big win, especially over Cornell. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson with wins over St. Francis and LIU. Uh, a, a nice week in the mid-majors for them. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, I, I think I think when you look at Princeton right now, um, you know, they, they. I would be stunned if they don't win the, the Ivy League. That is a good team. That was a really, really good win over the weekend. You know, to to go to Cornell, uh, win that game, um, four in a row, uh, top one hundred net team. Um, you know, I think I think Princeton is 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 really the star of mid major basketball right now, certainly in the state. Two things about Princeton I want to mention: Mitch Henderson won his hundredth Ivy League game. He's the eighth Princeton coach to do that. What success they've had over the years. Eight coaches have won 100 league games. Um, so he has continued in that fine tradition of Princeton basketball. And it was a great hire for Princeton. The, the problem, Princeton had become like a stepping stone job. And that's not what Princeton wants. Princeton wants to be a destination job. And they're not going to pay destination job money. But it's a job where loyalty matters, right? So they go in-house. They find a Princeton man who this is what they want to do. Like, this is what Mitch Henderson wants to be. He wants to be Princeton's men's basketball coach. He doesn't want to be a Mac coach. He doesn't want to be Northwestern's coach. Like, this is what he wants to be. And it shows. Like, he's fully invested in his job. This is, what, 12 years he's been there? Uh, he's done a terrific job. Princeton's really good. Tosan, a, uh, a woman, I probably, I know, I'm sure I'm butchering his last name, 6'9", power forward. He had nine assists against Cornell. A power forward with nine assists. How do you match up with that? And Cornell's good. Like you said, Brian Earl, Jersey guy, Shawnee High School, Princeton great. Teammate of Mitch Henderson's at Princeton. Uh, assistant associate head coach under Mitch Henderson at Princeton. He's got Cornell rolling. So for, for And he had Princeton's number. So for Princeton to go up there and win is a great sign. They're definitely the Ivy League favorite. Talk to my buddy Brad Wachtel. He thinks they're like in 14 seed territory right now. That'd be great for Princeton. You know, you get a 14 seed and you have a shot at, at knocking off a three seed. It's a long way away, but the Tigers are in great shape and are rolling. And you mentioned FDU. FDU's in first place in the Northeast Conference. I got to say, this has been the biggest surprise of the season in New Jersey, what FDU has done after, you know, have just having, what, a, a four-win season last year. Let's take a look at FDU's roster here real quick. Uh, no, sorry, their roster, their, their schedule. They're in first place, 3-0 in the Northeast Conference. They've won four in a row, 10-6 uh, and, and six overall, which is a really good overall record. And, you know, they've beaten some good teams too. They beat, they beat Merrimack. Uh, they, um, they beat LIU this weekend. So they're scoring points, but they're also defending. And you wondered – like they have a coach and players who came in from a high scoring division two, could they defend at the division one level? And they've done that. So FDU is a nice story, Chris, one of us, we may have to get over there and do something on them soon. They're really lighting it up and I'm, I'm happy for them because they have a good basketball tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, Jerry, they've won four in a row. They're three and zero in the conference. Princeton also are three and zero in the conference. Both in first place. So nice showing from New Jersey mid-majors this week. Uh, NJIT, they also win over Maine. Miles Coleman, let's just throw a shout-out to Miles Coleman at NJIT, who's having a terrific season. They've lost a lot of games, but he's he's a really good player. 
Yeah, tough week, though, for St. Peter's and Ryder. They lose twice. Uh, St. Peter's losing to Sienna and Canisius. Ryder to Quinnipiac and Sienna. Uh, a, a tough week, a little bit of an injury bug uh, striking Ryder as well. Yeah, yeah. Dwight Murray, right, Steve? Yeah, Murray, who I, I believe came back against Sienna, but they're down a couple of guys still. Uh, so, yeah, Ryder has hit a little rough patch with injuries, and uh, hopefully they can get through that and get going. They were 3-0 and in the league. Now they're 3-3 three and three in the league. Absolutely. So Princeton, they have Brown at Brown on Saturday, NJIT with Binghamton on Wednesday, Albany on Saturday, FDU, they're at Central Connecticut State on Saturday, St. Peter's at Quinnipiac Friday, Fairfield on Sunday, and Ryder at Iona on Sunday. So that's the week ahead for our mid-majors, and that's the week in the books for us here at Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Again, continue to follow Jerry, Steve, and Chris on NorthJersey.com mycentraljersey.com, app.com. Give us a follow on Twitter as well. And thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the games this week. We'll be back to talk about it next week on Jersey Jump Shot, and we will talk to you then. For Jerry, Steve, and Chris, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.